Hey there, successfully funded listeners. This is Sean Neal, the other half of Woodshed Agency, uh, sitting in for Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel. Um, so the reason I'm sitting in today is, unfortunately, um, Jeff's father, Gordon, um, had passed away last week after a long illness. And, uh, you know, obviously Jeff is out dealing with um, family issues and, and the funeral and whatnot uh, around that. So, you know, obviously at this time of grief, we, we wish Jeff and his family all the best. It's been um, kind of a gut punch here to Woodshed Agency, um, you know, when, you know, we are a small firm. We are kind of a family firm with, with several members of, of Woodshed being in the Wenzel family. And, uh, you know, that loss hurts all of us. And um, uh, we definitely wish Jeff and his family the best. But, you know, as they say, the show must go on. We we do come from a, a musician background and uh, and the wheels have to keep churning. So uh, we're recording several episodes this week. So it may feel like a month to you that uh i'm playing guest host we'll just know that this is going on over the next couple of days and jeff is doing well and he'll be back with you in a few episodes um but i will be sitting in for him uh we got some great interviews coming up around uh board game and publishing that i think you're really gonna love um today's episode we have uh matthew anklin from um the parks game and the um the parks expansion nightfall pack which is just a really amazing Kickstarter I recommend you check out. And uh, we're going to get to that interview in a little bit here. Um, but first, you know, in, in honor of Just Dad Gordon, um, I'd love to tell um, my little stories of, of meeting Gordon and, um, and, and the impact, uh, you know, obviously that he's had on Jeff is, is immeasurable and incalculable. I think, um, you know, if you don't know anything about Just Dad Gordon is he loved University of Michigan football and University of Michigan basketball. And uh, if you haven't noticed, if you've been a longtime listener of the successfully funded podcast and Jeff, that uh, his mood can genuinely be measured around the success or failure of the ups and downs of how Michigan sports um, are doing. And, that, and that's largely in part to the influence of, of Gordon on his life and, and, and passing on his love of, of Michigan athletics to, to his son, Jeff. So, um, you know, you don't say anything bad about Michigan around Woodshed Agency. That's how it goes here. So, um, th that's the biggest thing to know about Gordon is he loved Michigan football. And, um, you know, the other thing to know about Gordon is he was a huge supporter of, um, of Jeff and, uh, in all endeavors of Jeff, you know, if you know a little bit about his backstory, you know, rather than going to college, he took the... Jeff took the money that his parents had set aside for college and built a recording studio and, and used the money to uh, pay for the gear uh, to, to do this recording studio. And, and that, you know, decade plus long chapter of his life is, is where I entered um, um, with, with Jeff uh, doing our, our project, The Sugar People, the music you're listening to on this podcast. Um, uh, as his drummer and late, later business partner and production partner in that project. And uh, Gordon was very supportive of that. And, and most of my interactions with Gordon before he fell ill were, were in that period. And there's, there's two great stories I love to share of Sean's experience with Gordon. Um, the first was, uh, you know, Jeff and I think big. And um, even though ultimately the sugar people was, was kind of a, a local project and, and a, a very independent project. Um, when we started playing live shows, my entrance into the, the project was mostly around starting the ability to play live. We had to do it right. We had to do it the real way. 
you know, I, I'm a veteran of professional tours. Jeff was a veteran of professional tours. So the first thing we did is we went out and I found a bunch of road cases, flight cases for all of our gear. We're going to travel with our gear. It's got to travel right. And uh, we're going to, we're going to share a picture uh, in the podcast feed of the website here of, of these flight cases. And so, you know, a couple hundred dollars into flight cases, packing them all up. We had to have these things customized somehow, right? You know, we're pretty handy, but we're not that handy with tools. So first thing we do is we pile up in three or four trips in the two Scions, pile up all these flight cases, take them down to Dundee for Gordon to do his thing. And boy, did Gordon do his thing. And these ratty old cases that used to hold some AT&T gear, next thing we know, they are customized for our amps, customized for our guitars, for our drums. And that, that was all Gordon in his, in his garage, just like, stand back, boys, I got this. And um, a cloud of spray glue and foam and saws and wheels. And next thing you know, we're, we're a fully rolling battle rattle machine for, for small festival stages. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he, did, he didn't bat an eye. He was all about it, man. And, um, you know, when we built the studio, next thing we know, here's – there's these large server racks of equipment that Gordon would go find for us, uh, scrapping or, or um, you know, giant industrial lights for, for outside of our little home studio so we could better see the trap door that we would have to go into for the basement to run, to run the cables and all that. And you know, all that's to say is that, you know, um, that's what you ask for in a father is, is someone who, you know, may not, may not personally relate to the stuff that you're doing, but gets behind those projects. And, and, um, you know, I, I was very lucky with my, my father who, who's still with us. Thankfully, I was always a big supporter of all my endeavors and endured so much pain, so much pain with a, a child drummer, I gotta tell you. And, uh, Gordon was no different. And, and all the way up to the end, um, Gordon was a big supporter of all of Jeff's endeavors and, um, so much so, that there was one fateful weekend I would love to tell you about with my interaction with Gordon is um, they, the Wenzel family has this cottage up North in Michigan that um, they, they share and, and every family member gets uh, a week or 10 days or so uh, to go up and, and spend time at this cottage. And um, we were in the heat of our live show endeavors with the sugar people. And uh, we had been booked to play what we were told was a major festival in Lansing, Michigan at a big outdoor stage. The only problem was, is this coincided with Jeff's first family vacation. You know, um, Jeff and Aaron had, had just had Atticus, their, their young son. And um, Atticus was old enough to take up to this cabin and, and they were going to spend their, their very first weekend as a young family um, away at this cabin, which meant that um, because the rest of the band was a little less than helpful in logistics and gear. Um, I had to handle getting all of our gear loaded up into our trailer and towed up to, um, to Lansing, Michigan and, and, and set up. So um, what Gordon did is he left me his giant Ford or Chevy pickup truck, this, you know, 1990s, you know, circa 88, 90 um, uh, true cab aquamarine green pickup truck that was sort of running, <laughs> uh, but this giant muscle machine, he left it for me to uh, hook up our 35-foot trailer um, with all these cases. So um, I, I'd take that car and, and, and have a little scrape in the Kroger's parking lot with um, a lady whose door I just 
barely dinged with it who who really freaks out and screams i'm gonna sue you for scratching my car and i'm like no you're not you're gonna sue gordon wenzel i'm out of here Pfft. and um immediately bolt from that hoping that you know the the aquamarine green paint can't be matched to, to my little nick there and uh go hook up the trailer get all the gear in it and do the two-hour drive out to lansing and you know the way it was presented to us is there's a couple of these big festival stages and you know they they they, they give us a load-in schedule and you're going to unload your gear behind one of these big stages where semi-trucks are pulling in to unload and that's that's what i thought i was dealing with no that was not the case instead what we'd actually been booked for was playing an auxiliary beer tent adjacent to one of these stages if anyone's seen the the film Hedwig and the Angry Inch, this is very similar to the Menses Festival stage that Hedwig is playing on. Um, basically, a, a, a milk crates with with plywood over it, labeled stage. And the only way to get the gear of the stage was to drive this narrow dirt path lined with temporary fencing on the other side that was really meant for the golf carts for the crew to get through. And this is about, you know, a quarter mile trail uh, across this park through this narrow fence um, that I had to drive into to get the gear. And, um, you know, I thought that it was a short fence, a short driveway. I did not realize the expanse of fence that was ahead of me. And naturally, knowing that I wouldn't be able to turn around, as they told me there, I thought it best to back up the 35 foot trailer <laughs> in circa 1990 aquamarine green pickup truck. Uh, Cause how hard could it possibly be to do a straight line backup of this truck? It was very hard, very, very difficult. And I took out no less than 50 yards of fence <laughs> with backing up this trailer and uh, this pickup truck just, you know, randomly scraping into fence, knocking out two or three links of it and turning the wheel to the other side, knocking it out. So just absolutely destroyed the fencing, backing up to this little micro stage where we then unload all of our gear um, out of these giant flight cases, unpack them to play for the bartenders and waitresses setting up the beer tent, which would be active in three or four hours. And, um, you know, deliver everything back, you know, banged up. Who knows if we ever got a bill uh, from from the festival for all that fencing. And uh, just hand the keys to Gordon. He's like, how to go? Pretty good. He's like, all right. That's cool, man. Thanks. <laughs> Not a word about the, the massive destruction or what had to be thousands of little scrapes on the side of this pickup truck from just destroying an entire festival's uh, temporary fencing. But um, it's the same, man. Gordon was the man. Gordon was... Uh, Quiet man, very, very simple in what he enjoyed, but I can tell you firsthand, one of the people he enjoyed and had the most faith in was his son, Jeff. And uh, woof, he will be missed. He will be missed. And it's, uh, <laughs> uh, it's tough days. So enough of that. Um, parks, Kickstarter games. Uh, please enjoy my really cool conversation with Matthew Aiken of um, um, the Parks Kickstarter these guys really got it going on um, a great project and we had a really good conversation um, enjoy
All right, so looks good here. The red light is flashing, and that means we're recording, uh, and we are all set to go. All right. So, Matt, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, your Kickstarter project? Sure. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm Matt from uh, Keymaster Games. I'm one of the uh, owners of Keymaster Games. We're a small three-person, um, I guess actually now four-person company based out of Athens, Georgia. Um, we focus on making um, elegantly designed, beautifully illustrated board games uh, that allow gamers to welcome new friends into the hobby. So our focus is on uh, making games that you know hobby gamers enjoy, uh, but they enjoy teaching to people outside the hobby. Uh, for me personally, um, gaming was something I got into about three or four years ago um, after being a lifelong video gamer. I realized that sitting in a dark room playing video games without anybody else around wasn't really helping my mental state. Uh, and, and, and so after some, some tragedy in my life, um, invited some friends over and started playing board games regularly. Um, and that, that weekly connection point, people in real life, you can't hide from, um, really inspired me to, to start looking at ways we can bring more people into the hobby, um, give more people an opportunity to share time around the table. Uh, so that, a little bit about our company, uh, again, Keymaster Games, the campaign itself right now, we're in our, um, our fifth successful Kickstarter campaign, our largest Kickstarter campaign ever from a dollar's perspective. And we have the potential over those last 48 hours to hopefully reach our highest backer count ever. Um, so, you know, we, this campaign's about uh, a game called Parks. It's a, it's a celebration, an, an ode to the U.S. National Parks. Um, in the game, um, there are 48 illustrations of 45 of the national parks. And now in this new expansion, we complete the collection, um, bringing your total uh, collection of illustrations up to all 62 national parks. Um, and in the game, you take on the role of two hikers. You hike down a trail, collect resources, um, which we call memories, because you know you can't you can't take resources out of the national parks. So you collecting memories, um, using those memories to re recount visits to the national parks. Uh, it, yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there. Let's uh, let's do this chronologically. So I, I'm really. I'm really curious about the board game culture and that transition from, you know, although some video games can be, you know, you play with people online with headsets, but the transition from this solitary gaming experience to this communal gaming experience, what, what is it about the communal experience of board games that you think is really attractive as a community? Yeah. Um, so I think that there's probably two things. One um, board gaming is a part of a lot of people's upbringing. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people I've been like, Hey, I'm in a board game. And they're like, Oh, like Monopoly or sorry. Or yeah. Uno. And it, we, we had, we had Monopoly night, you know, once a week with the family. That was, that was the family thing to do. Yeah. So, so I think it, it feels natural to a lot of people to begin with, um, you know, less so historically in the United States, uh, versus places like Europe where, um, board gaming was a huge, had, to, had this huge resurgence after World War II. Um, but specifically in the U.S., it's grown over these last 10 years. One, because of this history, Hasbro, Mattel, right? They made all these games, sold them, sold them, and they keep selling them in Target. Um, and, and so you feel, it feels natural to, to share time around a table. Um, I, I think the dinner table, the kitchen table is a, is a meeting point, um, not only though for families, but also for friends. Um, we've, as a cult, I mean, as a civilization, right, have been sharing meals with people forever. So to gather around a table and play a board game feels natural. So that's number one. Um, number two, 
our entire lives are around screens. I mean, right now, what are we doing? We're, we're both looking at a screen. Um, and so I think people are looking, um, especially uh, younger generations are looking for ways to, to step back from screens. Uh, I have a rule in my game group. You don't have your phone out. Um, it's a time, it's a time to, to be in person. Um, and you know, it's provides, uh, board games provide this opportunity to explore, right? So it's, uh, in this case, the national parks, um, someone recently said, um, our generation isn't going to have the opportunity to explore the national parks like our parents. Maybe true, maybe not. I know economically it travels harder. Um, culturally, we're all busier. But, um, you know, if you really do buy into that idea, now I've got this opportunity for you to explore the parks via art and illustration. Yeah. Now, now you're hitting on a thesis I have for the reason you're having great success with this particular title is that I feel like you have three really interesting um, trends in young culture colliding with your game. You know, number one, the, this, this sense of getting off the screens and being communal. Um, we're, we're based here in Detroit, and, and one of my favorite spots in town is a combination board game bar and axe throwing bar. You know, <laughs> that's Detroit. You know, a little bit of violence with our community is always what we look for. But, but yeah, you know, I mean, this board game bar, it's really fantastic with um, all the titles they have, not only, you know, uh, the Monopoly, the, the traditional titles, but you see just about every crowdfunded title that we've ever enjoyed shows up at this place. And, and it's really a business model that's growing, that's encouraging, you know, younger people to not only come out and, and gather together for the bar, but sit and stay longer and have more meaningful experiences around a group and, and the table. So I think that's one trend that's starting is this long form face-to-face -face interaction and getting off the device. I think the other thing that you're really hitting on with this is this fear that the, the negative results of climate change and maybe um, the refusal to kind of deal with this and, you know, combined with, you know, mining and drilling encroaching on these lands, this might be a resource that isn't available to us in a generation, you know, and, and I, I really think that you're celebrating, you know, and then of course, you know, the artwork I think is, is spectacular and, and that's really driving, you know, th this great, physical experience of how the gameplay goes and, and the artwork and, and the inventiveness of using these different pieces. I think that you just had this perfect storm of these three trends or, or, or values colliding. And that's one of the reasons I think you're doing so well. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a, what an opportunity, right? I mean, um, the, the story behind parks is October, 2008, we'd finished up a, a campaign around a, a monster game we have called Campy Creatures. And uh, we got approached by this artist or this artist group, this print series and say, hey, we love your games. And we were like, hey, we love your art. It's this poster series called, yeah, the 59 Parks poster um, print series, 59 Parks print series. And um, we were like, hey, we'd love to make a game. And so, you know, in three months, we went from nothing in our minds to running a Kickstarter campaign last January about the parks. And we didn't know, I mean, we kind of had an idea like, hey, this is going to be cool. The art's great. The national parks, there's not a, there is another national parks game out there that's great called Trekking the National Parks. Um, we, we wanted to take this different approach of the trail and, and experiencing the park itself. And we put it on Kickstarter and the response was crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it was, a, it was a good day one, good day two, um, not even really with our returning backers, but just new people coming in. Like, oh, the national parks, board games? Oh, I've played board games before. 
I'll jump in on this. And man, yeah, I think I think this is this is the other thing that, and I think this is why you have the projects we love stamp on you. And and I I think that um, this is my thesis anyway, is that you're sometimes when when we run a Kickstarter, it's really about this idea that I've created that I love, and I hope people are going to love this too, right? And that, that's usually a, a reflection of the creator in those first projects. But when companies like you are like, okay, we've had a great first one, let's do number two, number three, number four. Sometimes when you cross this threshold of combining these things that you love as a creator and then branching out and, and tapping into these other networks and, and being more inclusive of maybe people that are more parks enthusiasts or artwork enthusiasts coming into the board game experience because of your subject matter and, and how you're handling you know, the gameplay and welcoming these new audiences into, into your world is really that tipping point that's going to take you off for future creations or additions to this. And that's, yeah. So I'm curious is how much of that was planned or how much of that was organic with meeting, meeting these artists? Yeah. I mean, there's, um, as far as the artists go. Well, well, the whole, the whole model yeah. of creating parks. Yeah. I mean, we have often been touted as the the art brand, right? The 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 games that are beautifully designed, high quality components, um, and that's a nature of my two business partners um, that, that are both illustrators and designers. Um, and they we love beautiful things. We love the tactile experience, the the visual experience, how it should look on the table. Those are those are those are things that flow out of our hearts as we design and create. Um, and so I, I think we, our audience has come to expect a high level of graphic design, illustration, component quality from us. From us. Um, and, and in fact, I think they want us to push sometimes in a different direction. They want us to make heavier games, um, you know, games that are more hobby focused, more gamer focused. And, and we just keep coming back to this mission that we have of welcoming new people to the hobby. And we're doing that by art. And so, you know, that's the, you know, as we think about the opportunity to make a National Parks game, it was the perfect it was the perfect gathering, right? Of, of, Hey, national parks, people love them. Board games, people are familiar with them. We can make a game that's simple enough for people to sit down and teach, but, but complex enough that they want to play it over and over and over again. And so that was again, the, the, when we sat down and we said, Hey, we know who we want to reach with this game. We know who we want to share this with. Um, how do we do that? Well, we're just going to highlight the art. We're going to say, this is a celebration of national parks. And we're gonna we're gonna hopefully get them in people's hands, and and it's it's just it, people have taken it from there, right? We we sold uh, we had ten thousand backers. We ended up selling another twenty thousand copies um, over the holidays, um, and it's just it's because people play it with their friends, and and then those friends go grab it and play it with their friends, and it's this it's this sweeping. Um, and I think you know, looking at it, you know, we're we're. I'm like a curious observer of board game culture, right? <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say a minute, but I look at this and your game would be the type of thing that I would put on my coffee table as a conversation starter, you know, of like, Hey, I'm having a gathering of people over and I could just as easily see, you know, a gathering of friends break out and play the game as I could see them rifling through the pieces and just admiring the art and the story and, yeah. So I think another thing, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and I actually, I tweeted the other day um, that, that we make the joke, it's hard to get games to the table. That's a very, that's a, that's a hobby term, right? 
Um, and I made the joke, I was like, well, this should just probably be on your coffee table. You know, like you've got coffee table books, it's a coffee table game. What that one of the yeah, one of the pieces, um, one of the one of the the products we're we're kickstarting is called Parks Memories. It's a new standalone tile matching game. And and it, it's just a small box um with a big old illustration on the cover. You're gonna pop it open and you can just go through these tiles, these chunky heavy exactly. tiles that have the, that, that's the that's the concept I love of here's the main product and, and here's the expansion for that product, but here's another way in you know, that, that's, that's a, maybe a little bit lighter gameplay. You know, I, I really, there's so much to love about this project. One of the things that when, when Jeff and I were talking about, you know, who we invite on the podcast and why we wanted to talk to you is we really love this cultural approach to the entrepreneurial experience, right? L let me unpack this a little bit. And you, you hinted on it where especially when we're in these niche markets and which agency is no different, right? We're doing digital marketing primarily in crowdfunding, right? We, we do, we do some other things for, for companies in Shopify, but, but crowdfunding is our niche, right? And when we talk about scaling and growing and, you know, what, what do we want to look like in one year and five years, there's always this battle of, do we deep dig further into the niche and, and only narrow our focus on crowdfunding or a certain type of crowdfunding? Or do we try to find ways to bring this, this medium to more companies that could participate in it that, that, that may not? And I really love the decision you guys are making where there may be that pressure to go deeper into the niche. And, and what I love about this memories is you're starting to innovate around just the, the traditional board game experience of like lighter touch ways to bring this in. And it really makes me curious for as you grow as a company, as, as you bring out Kickstarter number six or seven or, or you know, what the, the broad range of possibilities are next for you. And that's what I'd love for, to hear a little bit about is where do you go from here? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I, I actually was just uh, meeting with my partners earlier this week. We were, we were doing some multi-year strategy planning and talking through the potential, right? I, I think the um, running a business in this day and age in, in the U.S. is expensive. Um, running, running a physical product, um, that's, that's, you know, that's manufactured overseas. I mean, it, you got this giant lead time and, and the cash pressures is, is enormous. And so we, and, and things like the coronavirus and, you know, global, global issues affect you yeah. in your little office, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, international trade. I mean, with the whole tariffs last year with, with, uh, with, with Trump and China, I mean, I have learned more in the last year about global politics and, and, uh, Woo. Uh, yeah, my wife, uh, she loves to hear about those things. Let me tell you. Um, yeah, but I say we sat down, we were talking about the, the possibilities and, and I think there's two things that we're trying to accomplish as we look at the next couple of years. The first is to continue to bring attention to the national parks, um, for the sake of the parks, not the sake of our business, right? To, we want people to explore them. I, I visited Mammoth Cave, um, up in Kentucky for the first time. I, I didn't really know how easy it was yeah, to get to. Yeah, been there a lot. It's yeah. great, isn't it? It's incredible. Uh, it's I, shocking. You're, you're, you're park, 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 bench, hole in the ground. Yes, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and you know, I took my family there and I wouldn't have done that had I not, I, I've been to, I, I grew up cross country road tripping. I've been to about 25-ish of the national parks. So not, you know, not a ton. Um, but I, I never knew Mammoth Cave was just sitting off I-65 in Kentucky. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll go, I'll go check it out. So we, we want to continue to do this. And, and I think that it's um, 
that audience, that game is, is very much a, a good entry point uh, that people can just coalesce around, around the theme. We have other products. Uh, for example, we've got this game, Camping Creatures, that I mentioned. It was our second, and then we did a reprint as our fourth Kickstarter. Um, that it's a very simple, lightweight, approachable game. And we want to take those people that love that theme and maybe take them a little bit farther down the, the hobby, um, make make a little bit bigger of a game. Um, not too much, but just we want to we want to do kind of a, hey, you, you like campy creatures. Why don't you try this? It's going to feel familiar, but maybe be a little more complex. Uh, it'll feature all the same art. It'll, it'll be a, a conversation point and a follow up. Um, so we are trying to think about how do we bring people along to kind of a bigger tabletop experience while not alienating newcomers. And that's, that's the balance we're trying to strike. And it's, it's tough. Yeah. Well, based on what I see, I have every confidence that you guys will be able to thread that needle and pull that off. Cause I mean, your, your instincts are really, really honed in on this. So let's, <laughs> so let, let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk Kickstarter strategy, you know, so your fifth go around, what kind of, pre-launch activities or or things that you do prior to to letting this puppy fly oh man i'll tell you that's some i'd say that's our weakest area right now uh, i think we had really good results from this campaign which i'll talk about but i think um uh finding your first followers giving them the tools to get excited and then telling them when to show up is is a challenge um we have had twenty-one thousand um unique backers engage with us either in Kickstarter or in a pledge manager. Um, so 21,000 people across our, of our, across our five campaigns. Um, you know, I, I know who they are. I've got their emails from all of the, you know, from, from fulfilling. Um, and, and so we say, okay, Hey, how do we tell them about it? And there's two ways. So the first is Facebook advertising, right? I, I, you know, advertising is a, as a kid, as a, as a young adult, I thought was a dirty word. But advertising is just another word for, hey, I'm just letting you know about something that I think you care about, right? And I, I'm paying to do that because um, not everybody pays attention. That's right. So, so I think the first thing we did is just said, hey, this is coming. Social media, um, boosted posts, doing full Facebook ads um, is the first thing. We're just putting all of our first dollars into finding our first followers. Uh, the second thing we did is backer kit, one of the the pledge managers that's pretty common in the board game space. Uh, they launched a new service called BackerKit Launch. It's an email marketing service uh, that just takes the emails of your backers and sends them a very simple, hey, the launch date for this Kickstarter is this day. You can get notified by going to the Kickstarter page. I think the new Kickstarter notify me um, button. Yeah, that's a great new feature with that yeah. landing page. It's yeah. great, yeah. So we, um, you know, that, those, those are the two baskets that we kind of pushed, um, pushed uh, finances into as well as our efforts um, and just said, Hey, y'all, we need you to show up on Tuesday, February 4th. So those are the kind of the, the, the two, the two digital, the, di the two digital things we did. Then there's two other things. We, um, we sponsored and attended a conference the weekend before our launch um, and showed off parks memories for the first time. Um, it was a surprise. No one knew that we were working on this tile matching game. I think people are still surprised that we made a tile matching game, but there's some doubters out there. I, I think they're going to be pleasantly surprised when they get it. So we showed it off um, in person and, and we let those people talk about it. Um, I think getting products into people's hands and letting them tell the story 
was a especially yeah. in board games yes especially in tabletop it's absolutely. so critical yeah absolutely um so that was kind of their their art you know as we talked about success of a campaign was going to find our first followers the people that are like i'm an instant back like here take my money i don't even know what you're doing um and, and those people showed up i was shocked it's so um, critical yeah it's so critical yeah. yeah um you know day one uh we 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 raised more money on day one than we raised on our first four campaigns in total, or sorry, first three campaigns in total. Um, and that was from, that was from the highest returning backer rate I've ever had. So I had people show up from, 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 from before. And then, you so know that, that's just to unpack it. So that's, that's backers of your four previous campaigns combined with um, the, the strategy of emails of, Hey, notifications is happening that day one was more than any of your other campaigns. That's right. Yeah. I've got, I've got that's actually numbers, fantastic. numbers right here. Yeah. I think we had, you know, 190,000 pledged. Um, and then backer wise, cool. This, this doesn't have that, but uh, yeah, we had, we had more backers day one, uh, 30, uh, 3,500 backers on day one. Yeah. So you four X your goal in 24 hours. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, again, getting people to show up day one was, was critical. Um, I think this, this project presented a huge challenge to us because it's an expansion. You have to have the base game in order to, uh, in order to, to buy it. Um, well, the base game sold out. Uh, we have had trouble reprinting it. Um, you know, just holiday season, we, uh, we worked on some, some small edits to make it um, translatable into German and French. And that caused a delay. Then everybody else was trying to get their projects in before Chinese New Year. Then coronavirus hit so basically park parks is is out of stock the base game so we're trying to say hey people that want the expansion you're going to come you're going to get the expansion you know about it how do i talk to all the people on kickstarter who've never heard of parks and that was a challenge it was like hey this is about the expansion but you can get the base game uh oh but you might be able to get it in may in a retail store or you can back it and get it in your order in September. Oh, oh, by the way, we have a new standalone game. So, you know, once we had it, once, once we got through uh, telling our first followers about it, it's been a two week um, process of figuring out how do we go get new people to invest in not only a, a, a board game that they've never played before and the expansion. And oh, by the way, you should probably check out our brand new standalone tile matching game as well. Yeah, I, I think that that's a pretty unique set of circumstances that puts you in that. I, I, I would imagine had coronavirus not slowed you down, you, you you probably would be looking at, you know, three quarters of a million right now. Yeah, I think, I, I think, uh, I mean, and honestly, the, I guess the base game has not been fully impacted by coronavirus. Uh, we, we, we were not, we were late to get back to the second printing in December. It's more just the constant communication of, telling people, okay, hey, you don't have to buy the base game in the campaign. You can back the expansion. It'll come later. You'll have the opportunity to buy it in stores sooner than we can fulfill the campaign. So four or five months ahead of, yeah. of your Kickstarter fulfillment, you're going to yeah. be able to get the base game. And, yeah. and, and we could have just ignored it, right? I think this is the this is one of our brand... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? This is part, part of our Values. Brand. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want transparency. And, and we don't want the backer going, oh, I dropped you know, full price on, on the game in the Kickstarter, and I'm going to get it five months later or four months later than I could have gotten it in store. So we don't want that moment. They walk into Barnes. Go ahead. I think another thing, too, is, is as you're becoming a bigger player in tabletop, you know, I hear this a little bit 
in, in conversations of this tension between retail and Kickstarter, right? Is I think you're doing a nice job threading the needle, showing support for your retailers saying, hey, let's be transparent about this. Go ahead and get the expansion now. And in a few months, you'll be able to go to your, your favorite game shop and pick up this copy of Parks. And, and yeah, yeah. So uh, along with that, let's, let, let's kind of start to wrap up a little bit by, by talking about, you know, your Kickstarter, as of our recording this on, I think, February 21st here, you got four days left. Um, you're going to have a post-funding opportunity to continue to get memories and continue to get the expansion, right? Yep, that's right. That's right. So, you know, on the Kickstarter page, the new Kickstarter, what do they call it? Kickstarter, um, whatever. At the end it's, of the, it's there, so there, new, I forget. There, there's, <laughs> a, there's a new page, like the, yeah. the, the post-campaign page has got some cool graphics. I think it's top. continue to support. I think it's, right, that's what it's that's called right. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so you can still go to parksmemories.com, parksexpansion.com. It'll take you to the Kickstarter and you'll be able to hit, um, you know, pre-order now and and it'll take you into our pledge manager and you can pick up uh again all of the all of the the kickstarter exclusives uh or sorry no you'll be able to pick up all of the game um that are being offered here pre-order them um and get them before anybody else we don't we, we promise not to launch in retail until 60 days after uh we've fulfilled the campaign um which is a challenge with retailers but they uh basically if you want if you want in you want to be the first one that's right. You want to be the first ones to get it. You can get in and pre-order it um, and it'll deliver in September. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, man, you guys, I love when people get it, you know, and not only do you get it from a culture standpoint for your company, but, but you really understand um, how you can weave great art and, and real life experiences outside the screen into your art and into your games. And, you know, I really think you guys have a great handle on best practices and successful funding with a Kickstarter. You know, the you knew you had to get that audience there early. You did the right things to get the audience there. Um, I think, you know, I'd love to see how you would grow and expand your, your earning potential in um, identifying in that early process, maybe parks audiences or, or natural resource audiences and, and loop them into that that window that, you know, that that's a, a strategy you can deploy to even get better first days. But I mean, anytime you land basically just shy of a quarter mil on day one, you kind of got it figured out. <laughs> I would feel pretty good. Yeah. You're feeling pretty good about yourselves. Yeah. I mean, um, so uh, where else, where else can we find out great stuff about your, your previous games? Where can we, where can we get those? Yeah. So all the games will actually be available for a discount for backers in, in the, uh, in the add-on section. Um, you can find out at keymastergames.com uh, more about our brand, more about our games right there on the homepage, or you can buy them directly from us um, at keymaster.games, which is our Shopify site. Nice, nice. Well, I'll tell you, man, this has been, uh, this has been fantastic. Uh, you guys really, really nailed your stuff, Matt. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Thanks for, thanks for letting the, uh, the substitute come in and have the conversation with you. I had a great time. I really appreciate you guys yeah. bringing me on. All right. I'm going to uh, stop the recording and, and everyone check them out on Kickstarter, check them out on their website and you're going to love it. All right. All right. I really hope you enjoyed our interview with Matthew Aiken from Keymaster Games. Clearly those guys really got uh, a great company and a great project going on. Um, do our little plug for Woodshed Agency. 
Um, we are the crowdfunding guys. We understand digital marketing, crowdfunding, content, storytelling. Um, we're here to help. Our, this podcast, Successfully Funded, is one of the ways we try to get best practices and great information about crowdfunding out to the world. Um, we, we also have our website. You can go check out at woodshed.agency uh, where you can take a look at some successes, some best practices, and more importantly, if you're a crowdfunder or if you're uh, out, a company out there looking to do some digital marketing or getting the word out, you can click to have a conversation with Mr. Fuzzy Wenzel or myself. We'll hop on the phone with you and talk for 20, 30 minutes about your project, your idea, or your company, and, and give you our best stuff, give you our best advice. And, uh, it sounds like that's something you're into. Uh, maybe we can work together. Um, but biggest thing for us is getting crowdfunders, you guys, all the tools you need, um, all the best practices and stories and, and examples of success for you to be successful yourself. And that's what we're all about. Um, um, I'll be your guest host for the next couple of episodes. Um, hope you can endure me and endure the, the big beard and the, the big gloomy voice. And uh, Jeff will be back in a, in a few episodes here to pick the reins back up for the Successfully Funded Podcast. Gonna send you out with uh, one of my favorite tracks from the Sugar People here. Uh, one you may not hear all the time, but I, I feel like is a pretty good example of my subtle contribution of drumming and some Tom work here. So here's here's Radio from the Sugar People, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Bye bye.